It is good to be together, isn't it? <laughs> Silence. Oh, my word. Wow. It is good to be together, isn't it? Yes. Did you know this is, this, church isn't perfect, but this is God's plan A, his glorious, wise purpose in calling people to himself, saving people, making sons and daughters, adding them into his family, this is the outworking of that glorious uh, thing, which is that he saved us, and it is the church. I know, I know. Yes, it is, it's the church. And this morning, we are going to look at what it means to be church um, as we continue our 1 Peter preaching series. If you've been here for the last couple of weeks, um, then, well, we started a couple of weeks ago, so we're now two weeks in. Um, and uh, we're going to be looking at 1 Peter chapter 2, the first 10 verses, verses 1 to 10. So if you've got a Bible, please feel free to uh, turn your way there. I feel like it's becoming more, I'm just watching people flick or not flick. And lots of people are tapping. It's, we've got to that age that the majority of us are tapping in, on our phones to find scripture. That's okay. All people are just texting. Oh, great. <laughs> you switched off already. Well, friends, I'm going to pray um, because I need the Lord's help as we open. This is the word of God. This is, wow, what a beautiful thing that we get to hold the word of God. Um, and so it's a big deal when we come to it, how we interpret, how we interpret scripture rightly, how we understand it rightly. Um, so we're going to pray. And uh, Lord, we, we do just come. Uh, this morning, Lord, knowing that you've done great things. We sang about that. You've done great things. Not only that, but you, Lord, you do do great things and you will do great things. Father, I pray you'd make us a people of faith. Lord, who, who you know, it says in your word, without faith, we can't please you. You know, you, you've made us alive. And Lord, we want to believe in you. We want to have faith that you can do great things and you want to do great things. That is to save people. That is to set people free. That is to, to, to sow deeply your word into our hearts that we would see how glorious you are. So Lord, I pray, come and do great things this morning. Come and help me as I speak. I pray you'd speak. Uh, you would speak. Uh, less me and more you. Lord, you would speak this morning. Amen. Amen. Well, friends, hopefully you've tapped away or flicked the pages and found 1 Peter chapter 2. I'm going to read it. So it says this, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, talking about Jesus, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built into, up into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. For it stands in scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious talking about Jesus and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame so the honor is for you who believe but for those who do not believe the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do but you 
are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. Once you were not a people, now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. If, if the next 25 minutes are, you know, I don't know, wasted, take away that. Friends, take that away. Those are encouraging words for us. Once we were not a people, now we're the people of God. Once we hadn't received mercy, now we've received mercy. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Now, you might have noticed, uh, as you've heard that read or read it yourself, the, the, the book of 1 Peter, particularly this text as well that we're looking at this morning, is loaded with Old Testament imagery, Old Testament language. And the reason for that is, Peter, we're about 30 years or so after Jesus' ascension. Jesus has risen. He's now enthroned in glory in heaven. And Peter's now writing to People who have heard about Jesus become Christians in what is now modern-day Turkey. Asia, Bithynia, Cappadocia, they're all places in modern-day Turkey. That's what you know. we read in verse 2 or verse, verse 1. That's where Peter's writing to, churches in those areas, modern-day Turkey. Christians have popped up. They've heard about Jesus because people have spread out from Jerusalem where everything happened. Believers have spread out from there, taken the gospel, the word of God. Jesus is the Lord. People have become Christians. And Peter's writing to these Christians saying, you've got to understand something. There's a, there's a, there's a, there's a picture that they know, that they've heard about. They understand. They know Jesus. They know Jesus has saved them. And Peter wants to say, let me color in that picture that you've got to help you understand what it is you've been brought into. What it is God's done for you. Who you now are. You know, you've been brought into the people of God. So he's writing to churches where they're predominantly filled with non-ethnically Jewish people. There will be Jews there, but not predominantly. And so Peter's helping colour in that picture for them. Let me show you what, you know, let me show you what God's done. Let me show you who you are. And as we go through this text today, I want to bring out three things. Three things I think Peter majors on. Um, and the first is, he says, don't live like that, live like this. The first thing Peter says, this, isn't, this is me paraphrasing, don't live like that, live like this, point one. Don't live like that, live like this. Peter says, so, which is a bit like the word therefore. We see that in scripture and it's there because it's, it, it's going to talk about what's come before it. What came before it, last week Tom helped us see. Jesus, uh, the, Peter said to the churches, be holy because he who's called you is holy. You're a set-apart people. He's called you, saved you. So be holy as he is holy. You were redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus. There we are. So, so Peter says, so, therefore, because of what he's done, so, put away all malice and all deceit and all hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Don't live that way. Put that away. Now, Peter immediately touches on this this aspect of life as a Christian that we will live with for the rest of our living, breathing life here on earth following Jesus. And that is that, that tension of, uh, he saved me, he saved me, he's made me, he's born again, he's renewed me, he's made me brand new, he's forgiven me, he's separated my sin from me. I'm now no longer guilty and shame ridden in his sight. I'm, I'm pure and spotless, but I don't want to go that back that way. I want to live this way. 
And he's saying, so don't, so, you know, so don't live that way. Live this way. Live as you are called. And he's also, no, he knows that he's writing into a context where the churches are under pressure. They're under pressure to conform back to their old lifestyle because, because it wasn't okay to be a Christian at the time. They were, they were being persecuted for it. And so there was oppression for being a Christian. The, the, the state, the Roman state, it wasn't okay. It hadn't been legalized. Christianity wasn't legal. It was not okay to be a Christian. So there was pressure. And we all know when pressure comes on, when the pressure comes on, that's usually where the, you know, the real, the truth of what is in us comes out. It's always true, isn't it? When the pressure comes on, the best of the good and the worst of the bad comes out. And Peter says, yeah, I know, I know, I know your context. I know where you are. I know what you're going through. Put away those things. Don't live like that. Don't be malicious, don't be deceitful, don't be hypocritical. Put away envy and slander. I wonder what it is for you. I wonder what it is for us. Are there hypocritical behaviours that you know as a Christian you shouldn't be doing or living in that you can't put away, you can't put down? Are there things that you're you're indulging in? Maybe you don't want to be indulging in it. And you say, I, I know it's not right. I, I know he's called me. He's redeemed me at a high cost. His life was that which paid for my freedom. And so I know I shouldn't be living like that, but I can't stop it. Or maybe you're just indulging in stuff you shouldn't be indulging in. Maybe you're stuck in pornography. Maybe you have uh, ways of escape which are just drink or something else or gambling. I don't know. It could be any, any number of things. Are there hypocritical ways of behaving that are against you know, what it is for you to be made alive in Jesus, to be called to be holy because he loves you and he wants you to, to have put down that old way of life, to live fully satisfied in him? Or how do you respond when you don't get your own way? How do you respond when uh, you might face critique or criticism? Do you become slanderous or... Or, or do you become malicious in the way you speak of others? What is it for you? What about envy? There's a, there's a saying that is comparison is the thief of joy. And it's very true. We all know it. You know, when we start comparing against another, someone who's, I, it, what, one of two things happens. We compare and we think, oh, I'm better than them. And then we just get arrogant and our heads get inflated. And that's, a, that's a, well, God opposes the arrogant. That says it in his word. That's quite scary. He gives grace to the humble. And the other thing that happens is if when we compare and we realize we've come up short against the one that we're comparing against, we, we become, well, joy, joy gets sucked right out of us. And the next step is it breeds envy. Maybe it's not as cliche as possessions. Maybe it's possessions. I, you know, I want that. They've got it and I want it. Maybe it's more like there's a, there's a title or an acknowledgement that that person gets and I don't get that acknowledgement. Maybe it's a position that you, you, you're, you know, you're just envious. They've got the position. You wanted the position. You haven't got the position. What is it for you? How's your heart? Peter says, put down those things. Don't live like that. Why? Because he's bought you at a price and he wants you to live in a way which is, I'm just filled with joy. Do you know, 
And, and I'm not saying that of myself, saying that I'm, I'm perfect. I'm saying that, you know, the Lord's desire is that we would just enjoy him. And that we're not competing to be better than or, 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 or speaking slanderously or doing stuff that we know is hypocritical to what he's called us to. It's, it's living free in, in the joy that he's given us, eternal life. Don't live like that. Live like this. Live like this. What does Peter say? He says, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good. Peter knows that, you know, these people are Christians he's writing to. He knows they've tasted that the Lord is good. But he's saying, but if you know, if you've tasted then, if you know him, yes, come on. Like pure, like, like infants long for pure spiritual milk, that by it you'll grow up into salvation. He saved you, he is saving you, and one day you'll be fully saved when you go to be with him that you may grow up into salvation. You might remember Paul, the Apostle Paul, he, he says in the, in the book of 1 Corinthians, in the letter 1 Corinthians, he talks about, uh, he's kind of a little frustrated, I'm still having to feed you on milk and you should, be, you should now be being fed on solids, as if you, you, know, you should be a weaned child and I should be able to teach you about the Lord and about he, who he is and who you are on solids and not just giving you, you know, little food. That's a different analogy, that's not the same thing. Peter's saying, I want you to be like a baby. What do babies do? They long for milk. And you know about it. If you've been a parent or you've been the friends of someone who's been a parent, or you've adopted a very, very young child pre-weaned, you know it when, when, when they want milk, you know about it. You, you know, you, you can't just stick a dummy in it. When they want milk, you can't just stick a dummy in their mouth. They'll spit it out and carry on screaming for milk. You can't just, oh, they shh, shh. It doesn't work. You can try rocking them. It doesn't work. Sometimes three or four times a night, they will ask for milk because they have to have it. I know. And it's the most inconvenient moments as well. But what's the point? What's the point? Babies have to have milk. So it's no wonder they go on about it. They have to have it. And if they don't have it, if they don't have it, they become weak and they become fragile and malnourished and they become prone to illnesses. And so, you know, both sides of the analogy are true. Friends, if we don't, if we don't long for this pure spiritual milk, guess what? Guess how your faith goes? We become weak, we become fragile, we become prone to just, you know, falling out of touch and... Peter says, no, long for pure spiritual milk. There's not a baby you will find who says to the mother when they're offered milk, actually, I've got quite a full schedule today. I've, I've got my athletics walking class in just a moment. And after that, I've got my language learning class. So, I, I, you know, milk I'll do later. They don't do that. So Peter's saying, long for, like a baby longs for milk, long for pure spiritual milk. What is that? It's the word of God. It is to know him through his word. Long for pure spiritual milk. These guys that Peter's writing to, they didn't have all the manuscripts. They didn't have a full Bible that we have today. But he's saying long for the word of God. Long for the word of God. You might be here and you think, oh, I'm more of a spirit person. I'm more of a Holy Spirit person. And the Holy Spirit would say to you, I gently say this. The Holy Spirit would say to you, I inspired this. If you want to know me, I inspired this. I inspired scripture. If you want to know me, open the word of God and spend time with him. Spend time with him. Talk with him. 
speak with the Lord, worship him. You know, it does our souls good as we come to him and seek him and talk with him. Maybe you're not praying about much. That's okay. Just talk with the Lord. It does our souls good. Pure spiritual milk to long for him, to to be those who give ourselves to this and to be those who give ourselves to, Lord, I'm going to spend time with you because, because I am nourished when I'm with you. Personal testimony. If I go on holiday or for some reason I get out of a, you know, I get into a, a few days without reading this or spending time with the Lord, I become so weak. I become so weak and fragile, become prone to temptation and to, and to end up doing the things that Peter's reminding his, you know, the people he's speaking to don't do those things anymore. Friends, like, like babies, let's long for this. Let's devote ourselves to the word of God. Let's spend time with him because, you know, my walk with Jesus suffers when I don't. And I bet yours is the same. Don't live like that. Live like this. Long for more of him. Long for more of him. Why? Why is that important? Because he's building you up into his house. Wow. Why is that important? Because he's building you up into his house. Point two. He's building you up into his house. His dwelling place. Remember, Peter's talking to a bunch of Christians in modern-day Turkey who aren't, the majority of whom aren't ethnic Jews. They don't have the same background. They don't know what it was or what it is to have been part of the people of God. They might have an idea because they knew about Jerusalem. They knew about the temple. They would have heard about it probably, most likely. They knew about Israel being uh, those which were supposed to be the people of God. So they might have heard about it, but they didn't fully appreciate the heritage that, you know, that the people of Israel had. And so Peter says, I'm building you into a house. Verse 4, as you come to him, the living stone, the one who is exalted, the one who is alive, the one to whom one day every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus is Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. To him, we get to come to him. Wow. Peter says, as you come to him, the living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, made alive because of Jesus, are being built up into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. So more Old Testament imagery. Friends, we're being made into a spiritual house. The temple was destroyed in 70 AD. There's no more temple. But Jesus is doing a new thing. The Lord's doing a new thing. And it's not to rubbish the old. It's not to just start start all over again. It's to say, no, through Christ, actually, I'm doing a much more glorious thing. And that is everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And everyone who is saved becomes a living stone. And those stones are supposed to interlock and to sit on, one, on top of one another to make into a beautiful house where God dwells. Did you know this, this, what you're looking at this morning is the residency of God? That's just bonkers, isn't it? It's true. Not this building, this people. He's making us into a spiritual house where he dwells. More than that, he's making us into a holy priesthood. In the Old Testament, it was a priest from the tribe of Levi who would be able to come and serve in the temple. They were the ones with the special privileges. If you were born in that line, 
you were able, your job, your whole role and purpose was you were to be a priest who offered sacrifices, who served in the house of God. So what's the significance? Friends, he's doing a new thing. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And all those who are saved are now priests. What does it mean? What does that mean? It means that your whole life is for the service of the king. It means your whole life, your whole life is for the service of the king. Your whole life is for the service of the king. My life is for his service. It's for his glory. It's for his praise. And what a joy. I was saved at the age of 16. I grew up with Christian parents. But I was saved at the age of 16. I said, Jesus, I want to follow you. And I can tell you, sure, you might say, Phil, that's not long, really, to have lived much life. Yeah, okay. But I can tell you, since the age of 16, I've got a hope that I didn't have. I've got joy that wasn't in my heart before. I've got a purpose where I didn't have a purpose before. Friends, he's made you into a, he's made you into a priest. And so your life now is for the service and the honour and the glory of the king. And your life is that is that to say, Lord, it's all yours now. I'm all yours. So he's building a house. This is the house and your priest's in it. Amazing. Quoting Isaiah 28 in verse 6, he says, And those who believe in him will not be put to shame. Maybe you've recently become a Christian. Maybe you've been a Christian for a little, a little while, but actually you're thinking, this isn't working out for me at the moment. Do you know that the Lord has said to you, I won't put you to shame. Everyone who trusts in the name of the Lord will not be put to shame. You won't be put to shame. That's not to say you won't endure challenges in life. Of course you will. Of course you will. But your life is this short. That's how short your life is. And that's eternity. Your life is this short. And that is eternity. And he says, I won't put you to shame. I've saved you. I've rescued you. I've called you out of darkness into glorious light, where for the rest of eternity, you are a priest who gets to enjoy the presence of God, living with him. I won't put you to shame. Whoever trusts in him will not be put to shame. Friends, you will not be put to shame. Maybe there's some really difficult stuff that's going on at the moment. If that's the case, I'd love to pray with you. We would love to pray with you. Pray with the person you came with this morning. He won't put you to shame. He loves and cares for you. He said... Jesus said, anyone who comes to me, I will never cast out. Peter goes on. Psalm 118, he's quoting more Old Testament imagery. In verse 7, he says, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. What does that mean? The Jewish people rejected Jesus. They decided they tried to get rid of him. They ended up, you know, he was brought into the courts And the crowd, the Jewish crowd, called out, crucify him. This man claims to be God. Crucify him. He's he's heretical. Crucify him. They tried to get rid of him. The irony is God's glorious wisdom. As 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 the Jewish nation who turned against the Lord said, crucify him, we want to get rid of him. That was the very means that actually that meant that he would go to the cross to deal with the sin of them who were heckling crucify him and of you and me and the whole of humanity so that everyone who could put their trust in him, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so Jesus, the one who was rejected, the stone that was rejected, has become the foundational cornerstone 
that determines the size and shape and foundation of that building, which is the church, and we are built on him. He is the foundational cornerstone. He has become the glory of what he is building, and that is the church. Maybe you're here this morning, you think, I don't think much of the church. The church isn't perfect, I'm very aware of that. It's filled up with you and me. <laughs> the church isn't perfect. But maybe, and maybe you've been hurt by the church, and if that's the case, I'm sorry you've been hurt by the church. But the church is God's wisdom. The church is God's glorious wisdom to show to the rest of the world and the principalities and powers in the heavenly places and say, look how glorious God is. The church isn't supposed to be a bunch of scattered stones. No, that's that's not a building. That's not a temple. A bunch of scattered stones isn't a temple to his dwelling place. Archaeologists don't go and find the stones on these historical sites and go, wow, that, you know, they'll go, wow, of course they will, they love it. Wow, that's amazing. But why? Because that points to its former glory. And the former glory that was once that it was an incredible building that spoke of you know, that speaks of the grandeur that it should it once have or it should have. Peter's saying, you're like living stones. But guess what? You're supposed to be on top of one another making a house of God for God to reside in. That's God's desire to be with his people and his people to be one. Jesus said, I pray that you be one just as I am one with the Father. So friends, we're supposed to be one. And if you don't love the church, Jesus loves the church. And if you think, but it's hurt me, I get that, and I'm sorry that's the case. And if you think I'd rather give up on the church and do my own, you know, my own me and Jesus thing, I'm not disrespecting that at all. But that's not God's will for you. It's not God's plan A for you. God's plan A is the church and the church being one, united. The bond of the spirit of peace, that's what Paul talks about in Ephesians 4. We're supposed to be united. The church is glorious. It's filled up with you and me. So yeah, it's a little, a little bit dysfunctional sometimes. But that's the place where we learn to love one another. And this is the place where we get to work out our salvation. Together. Preferring the other. Not coming saying, yeah, you tick my boxes. Make sure it's like this. If it's not like that, I'll go somewhere else. We come with a consumeristic lifestyle and a consumeristic attitude because that's the culture that we've brought up, been brought up in. We can't do that with the church. We mustn't do that with the church. We devote ourselves to one another. In all our funny ways, with all our little habits which irritate one another, we devote ourselves to each other. We build one another up. We love each other. That's the glory of the church. And it points to him. And it magnifies him who is enthroned in heaven, who is glorious above all things. Why is that important? Peter wants us to see what Jesus has done. He wants to see what he's... He, he, Peter wants his readers to see and understand what the Lord is doing and what he has done. And he carries on in verse 9. This is point 3. He's made us his people and he's shown us mercy. Verses 9 and 10. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim his excellencies, the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. Once you were not a people, now you're the people of God. 
Once you haven't received mercy, now you've received mercy. Remember, Peter's writing predominantly to non-Jewish people. He's colouring in the picture. They knew about the people of Israel, the people of God. Jesus has opened the door now. Through his death and resurrection, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Jesus has opened the doors. And he said to all those Jewish, non-Jewish, Africans, Americans, South Americans, Australians, Australasians, Europeans, he's saying, you, you now, you now are adopted into the people of God. And it is his joy, it was the Lord's joy to adopt you into his family. You now are that chosen race. You belong to that chosen race. I love that. I love that. I look across the church here. I see people of different ethnicities from different nations. I love that. Isn't that, doesn't that speak of the wisdom of God? That wasn't rhetorical. Yes. <laughs> it speaks of the wisdom of God because we're from all over the place and we come together and it's glorious and it's beautiful. And I love you. You're my brothers and sisters in Christ, mothers and fathers in the faith. And we get to, we get to do this. That's astounding. It doesn't happen anywhere else in the earth. It doesn't. He says, I'm making you a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. For what? For what purpose, friends, that we might proclaim the excellencies of him. He is excellent. He is glorious. Of him who, who brought you out of death, out of darkness, into his glorious light. Once you were not a people, once you weren't, once you weren't, you didn't belong to the people of God. Now you are God's people. Does that, that should fill you with joy. I'm thrilled that he's made me his. Because before, like I said, I had no hope. I had no joy. Not really. Not really. I wasn't really satisfied. I thought maybe, you know, that might satisfy me. It didn't completely. I'll, I'll look over there. Now I'm satisfied in him. He's called us out of darkness into his glorious light. And we've received mercy. Why is that important? Why is that good? Why should we, why do we, why should we proclaim his excellencies because we've received mercy? If, if you don't proclaim his excellencies because, you, because you've received mercy, mercy, then you've not understood your darkness. He calls you out of your darkness, out of your sin. You've not understood the, the gravity of your sin that separated you from him. He's holy. He's glorious. And you don't deserve life because you're sinful. But he's been merciful and made you alive together with Christ. That's shockingly good news. I thank God so much he's been merciful to me. I don't deserve his mercy. I'm, 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 you know, Paul says I'm a wretch. I'm, I'm the worst of all of you. I'm a wretched sinner. He saved me. I'm now a saint. I don't deserve it. And so because of his kindness, I proclaim the excellencies of him who called me out of darkness into his light. And so, friends, we're going to do that. I'd love the band to come up if you're able. We're going to proclaim his excellencies because he's done a wonderful thing. Amen. He's done a wonderful thing. He saved you and you don't deserve saving. He saved me. I don't deserve saving. And I want to glorify and honor him because he is the king of kings. Maybe this morning you're, you're, you're thinking, OK, I don't know the Lord. This is interesting. Now I'm in church. <laughs> I don't know the Lord. I don't know his mercy. Actually, I do know. I do know my own sinfulness. I know what I've done wrong. I know 
and I'm a girl, and I'm a shame. Maybe, maybe you think, you know, I'd like to turn away from that life, actually. And you say Jesus is the king. Yeah, I say Jesus is the king. If you want to come to know the Lord this morning, then, then we would love to talk with you. In fact, I'll pray in just a moment. And maybe you could pray with me just silently. You don't have to pray out loud. But he can, he can bring you out of darkness into his glorious, wonderful light. He can take you out of a place of bondage where you feel trapped into freedom. He can take you out of death and into life in all its fullness. That's how good he is. So maybe you want to pray with me. In fact, we're going to do it differently. Maybe everyone can pray. We'll pray out loud together. And then if you want to pray as well, then pray with the people around you who are making noise. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we receive you as king. Lord Jesus, I receive you again as my king. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you, you deal with and dealt with my sin. Thank you, Jesus, you've forgiven me. I praise you as the Lord God Almighty. And I thank you that you've taken away my guilt and my shame and my sin. Now, Lord, I want to live to proclaim your excellencies. Amen. Let's worship together, shall we? Why don't you stand if you'd like to?